When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. That someday. The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Welcome on into the batting order. Be your one-stop shop for LJ to forget the Belly Up Sports bumper until right before they start recording. I am LJ LaFira. Alongside me, I got Brandon Karam. We are a Belly Up Sports podcast. We are what they aren't. Brandon, how are you today? LJ, I'm good. I'm better than most Boston sports fans. The Boston Bruins just completed what is quite possibly the biggest collapse in professional sports history, the most monumental. They set the record. Most wins, most points, most everything in the regular season only to blow a 3-1 lead and a goal lead in Game 7 of the first round. Lose at home, season over, Patrice Bergeron, career over. Uh, It is a bad time to be a supporter of the Bruins, and it just it's a curse, LJ. No team in professional sports history, the team that has the most amount of regular season wins in baseball, football, basketball, and hockey all have not won the championship. It's it's a tough situation. I will not call it the greatest collapse. Actually, uh, fun plug, saying this will be up on pod, in podcast form. Before that, I will be on the app Live Takes tonight Oh, with a dear friend of mine discussing this exact topic. It most certainly is not, just to give a little bit of a preview, not the worst professional sports collapse out there it's up there it's up there and it certainly isn't the biggest sports collapse in my eyes partially because and my primary argument here is going to be there's a massive difference between playoff hockey and regular season hockey that there's no real comparison in any other sport for the difference between the playoffs and the feeling of the playoffs and the regular season in any other sport so like you know I would still put up there, you know, 04 Yankees. I would still put up there 2018 Virginia. But, but, but LJ. 07 Pats. You, you can't give them a pass. The Bruins. I'm not, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not giving a pass. Let's, let's get, make sure. Saying that, oh, it's, it's harder to win in the playoffs. That's not an excuse. No, 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 it, it's not harder. It's different is what I'm saying. Okay. I'm not saying it's an excuse because they're still the most talented team. They should have put up a better fight than this. But what I'm saying is if we're talking about all-time great collapses, you know, 
it's easier to blow having to win one out of three games than it is to blow one out of four games. Yeah. It's easier to blow one out of three games than being the best team in the entire country and getting dominated by a team that was at best the 64th best team in the country at best ranking. So like, yeah, there there's, uh, we've seen worse is all I'm saying. Um, but today Purdue course, this year also, right? Like with what? FDU, FDU and Purdue. Yeah, that was, that was a little less, but like still a hundred percent up there. I mean, we're talking about an undefeated Pats team too here. Like this team tried to go the entire season. Perfect. Was able to withstand the pressure all the way up until the Super Bowl, and then fell apart to a guy who was inexplicably going to make the Hall of Fame because of two of the most insane runs ever. Because of his last name. And his last name. But, like, relative to the rest of his career, his two championships might be the most miraculous. It's like, realistically, the people who brought down Tom Brady are a miracle season from Nick Foles and two miracle stretches by Eli Manning. Yeah. He was never like he was good. He was great during those. I'm trying to give the I will give the respect there. But relative to the rest of his career, it was such a difference. But yeah. this is a baseball podcast. This is. This is not our nonsense segment, which we do on Thursday nights. So we're gonna go ahead and jump on into the topics here. Brandon, the White Sox have been in a tough situation, and it just gets tougher as they blow a I believe it was a five run lead and end up down five or six by the end of this game here to the Tampa Bay Rays this weekend. Could things be worse for the White Sox? Um, LJ, it was trying to, let me find exactly what it was. If I remember correctly, they had a no hitter going into the seventh inning. The White Sox did yep. and then gave up a 10 spot um, <laughs> in the inning. It was three, not not, three, not, three nothing, a no hitter. You should be cruising to this end of this game and then give up 10 in the seventh to lose 12-3. Yeah, 10 in the seventh, and that ended up being their 10th loss in in a row. Um, They had some miraculous comeback yesterday. I don't know if you saw what they did yesterday. They somehow, after losing 10 in a row, found some fight and had a nice little comeback in – the ninth inning to score seven runs in the bottom of the ninth to win 12 nine yesterday. But the White Sox sit at eight and 21 fourth in the AL central and LJ, let me just say, I'm not feeling so good about my White Sox to win the AL central pick, right? I forgot you picked them because this is atrocious. What we're we're seeing, but okay. LJ question real quick, real quick. If Tony LaRusso was manager, Better or worse than right now? I just don't think the roster is that talented, so I don't think it would matter that much. It wouldn't matter, okay. Um, you know, here we are talking about yes, nice win, but as far as I'm concerned, that's more about pride than it is about actually, you know, winning and being on a good run. Because your opportunity to be on a good run and set things right after losing nine straight was to no hit the best team in the league. And not only did you lose the no-hitter, which would have been a you know minor tick, but hey, at least we beat them and we got a chance to win the series. They get demolished. They get bowled over in the final three innings. They got outplayed in three innings the amount that it would have taken them 
in 11 innings to put together of late. So like there, it was no contest and Tampa made it no contest within a three inning stretch. That's embarrassing. The way they've been playing is embarrassing. And where do you see necessarily the turn coming? The only thing that I thought could get better for them right now is if you, you know, got the momentum of that no hitter, if you actually executed in this incredibly important spot, I would honestly say that no hitter might've been as crucial as you could get a moment in the early part of the season. Like before Memorial day, that might've been the most important moment that you could possibly have. And you let that slip by. That was your chance to get hot. That was your chance to push yourself back up into these standings. Now you're sitting at eight and 12 lost 10 out of your last 11 might be even worse. If you look past that and Brandon, where are you seeing the increase in production coming from? Because I just don't know. I mean, maybe I think Benintendi gets a little bit of a power stretched back. I, I, I really couldn't tell you. The pitching it, is atrocious, and I don't really necessarily see the pitching getting that much better. Maybe, you know, maybe Dylan Cease gets a slight tug, a slight tweak. But when you have such control issues so consistently, you can't be a consistently great pitcher year in and year out. And I have a feeling like this is going to be a burn year for Dylan Cease. So whoa, okay. No, that's not that's not to say he's going to be bad. Like this isn't a guy I'm dropping for my fantasy team because I do have him. But he's one of the best pitchers in the league, in my opinion. Yeah, but that doesn't mean he's going to put up the best numbers year in and year out. No, fair, fair, fair. I'm saying this is going to be a lot closer to his career three five this year than it's going to be to his two two last year. Okay, fair enough. Um. I think and, that, and you need him at that 2-2 if you're going to have any chance at competing with this loaded Twins rotation, with this great Guardians team that just needs to figure out things on the offensive side of the ball, which I say I know it's easier said than done, but at the same time, we all kind of feel like they're going to figure it out at some point here and give Minnesota a run. So this division's too good for them to just easily get back into it or happen their way back into it. They need to find ways to get better, and I don't see where this is getting better for them. Well, with the White Sox, obviously it's not good right now. And obviously my pick for them to win the division is not looking good. However. Um, spin zone time. Uh, some, somewhat of a spin zone. Uh, Andrew Vaughn is pretty good. Okay. Okay. Um, you're still – you're going to get back Tim Anderson and Yoan Mankata at some point. Tim Anderson. Without them, though. With them, though. It, it, it'll help out this offense. I mean, right now, your shortstop is Elvis Andrus, and, you know, you're playing Jake Berger at third, who's actually been pretty good. But then, you know what, LJ, can I have a Jake Berger rant here for a second? Sure. I mean, we're talking about a guy with a, a 333 on base and seven home runs. I'd love to hear what you have to say. I had to play against him in fantasy this week, and I, uh, how? All I want to know is how. He has scored a run in the last four games in a row he's played in, and you get two for a run, LJ. So he's just been, he's been consistent somehow. Um, Yeah, big week from him this week, and, uh, you know, the 166 way to runs created plus isn't too bad either for the season. But, look, you know, the White Sox, they get back Tim Anderson and Mankata. 
Uh, I think Giolito has been pretty good this year, which is surprising compared to what we've seen in years past. Uh, the walk numbers are down. He's got pretty high strikeout numbers. Cease is still, I mean, he's fine. I'm not, I'm not buying into any of this, any negative things regarding Cease. I think he's been ridiculously good the last two years. Bullpen's a mess. Bullpen is a mess here. And, um, you know, Luis Robert, LJ, did you see the play that he got benched on the other day? What happened? I did not. He hit a little dribbler to the pitcher and, or it was kind of like in between the pitcher and the second baseman, I want to say. And he jogged to first base and the throw barely beat him. Like just barely. And he was dogging it. It was, he was leading off the bottom of the first inning immediately got pulled from the game after that it, immediately. I mean, he came off the field and Pedro Griefel like went over and talked to him and just immediately headed to the locker room and was replaced. So a lot of people on Twitter saying, they should look to try to trade him. He's not bought into Chicago. I no one's know. bought into Chicago. Have no you watched any of teams played this year? Yeah. So Brandon. to answer the question that's on the screen right now, could the White Sox be worse? As of right now, pro- probably not. Pro- probably not. But LJ, Liam Hendricks, cancer-free. He'll be coming back soon. Um yeah, for that, that that one out of every five games that he'd get a save opportunity. Actually, that may be generous. Yeah, good for him though. You know, he he oh, he was he fighting to come back. You know, he's earned it. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. I don't think the rest of this team has earned earned much. LJ, how's how about this for you though? A hundred ninety one million dollar payroll, and that's without Jose Abreu, who you just let go to Houston. Just watched your your best player and your most consistent, you know, effort player too. Walk out the door. I mean, I can't wait to see the series start Tuesday. This is going to be a bloodbath against Minnesota. I'm telling you right now. Because it's like even, you know, in the games they've won, it doesn't feel like they're necessarily competitive is my issue with this White Sox side. Like, it doesn't feel like there's any – there's no energy there. Even against the opening day against Houston, it didn't feel like they were mentally, like, engaged. There was no, I'm not sure what the word I'm looking for is, but like there's just something off about the way that team interacts right now that it's not getting better. But to quote, we've got a big series this weekend, and to quote the great James Taylor, oh, Mexico. The Mexico series was this weekend, and it was a major, major time. Brandon would you like to give your first takes on it? Because I missed the fun game, admittedly. Oh, I went LJ, you missed the night. fun game? I went to the Sox that night. Oh, well, LJ, let me tell you. I mean, first of all, big shocker here. The MLB did a terrible job promoting that there was going to be a game in Mexico. I didn't really know until the day of, like on Saturday. And for someone that has hosted a baseball podcast for the last two seasons every single day. And now, yeah, now the third season of doing three days a week and, you know, an MLB TV subscriber and very active on baseball social media. Didn't find out there was a game in Mexico until Saturday. Also found out that the elevation there is just ridiculous. And 
the over under for the game was set at like 17 and a half on Saturday. And I was like, okay, like, is it really that crazy? Uh, yes. The answer was yes. The over 17 hit by the fifth inning. Um, and we ended with a really fun 16 to 11 game that probably a lot of people who had MLB TV, if you could pick a game to watch, you were watching that. And look, who doesn't like a lot of runs? I mean, obviously not every game, but not every game, but you know, when the Yankees and Red Sox went to London and they played a couple football games there, um, you know, with the, you know, they were scoring touchdowns instead of home runs, essentially with, with how much the scoring was, um, not every game, but it was fun. And then the over-under started getting crazy for the second game. It was set at like 20 and a half or something, and it massively went under. I think the final score yesterday was, uh, where is it right here? Six to four. Um, still would have hit the over in most games. It's usually around eight. But LJ, it was fun. I like when the MLB goes to these neutral sites to play whether it's field of dreams mexico was there a puerto rico game maybe at some point no i think i think what you're thinking of is the japan game that they do every like twice japan, that's right started uh a's and mariners started the season in japan a couple years ago um yeah lj all four neutral site games right get the fans into it in those 100%. areas if you can give us uh you forgot little league world classic as well. oh yeah yeah no that's that's what i was thinking of yeah it's the uh, williamsburg um, game yeah and uh but no i think they're absolutely fantastic i love you know seeing it in different environments and being able to grow baseball in different environments if they did what they did with the field of dreams game in different spots every year that's the way to go and i think with the you know, if you were theoretically adding a national televised game for it and stuff like that, then a lot more teams would be able to justify the cost of losing the ticket revenue for the day or for the series. It all just, it, it all makes so much sense for growing the game. You almost have to do it. And Mexico City is possibly the perfect place to have it. Honestly, I think, you know, two games is probably the least you can do. You can't get away with one game in Mexico City hmm. because you know, everybody, everybody knows the elevation. This is Denver on steroids is what Mexico city is. You see it every time somebody plays there, you see, especially like every time the soccer team plays there, there's always something going on elevation wise guys are gassed. And so what you get here is a situation where if the pitcher is on point that day, you're going to have a pretty normal game because really the difference I saw between the Saturday game and the Sunday game was the pitching performances were much better. The guys weren't making good contact, but when these guys are getting good contact, that's when you're going to see the 27 run game that we had on Saturday. That's the beauty. It's either you're either going to see a great pitching performance or a monster offensive performance in a situation like Mexico city. I love it. I was also reading that the high elevation which would make sense for course field also, but the higher elevation makes the ball not break as much um, because the air is thinner. Um, and for those who don't know, a little science lesson, very quick. The reason of the baseball breaks and like moves is because 
the laces stick up from the ball and they the air catches with them and it does something to the air that makes the ball move actually like that um but since the air is thinner it's not able to catch on to the ball as much ball floats more in the air does not necessarily break and that's why when guys like i believe tati soto bogarts and machado all homered in that first game it's like when you have those guys and they're getting the ball in the air at a stadium like that you know i i don't know what you know you're there's gonna be home runs and fireworks and stuff like that but uh yeah, overall success. I don't know when um, the next uh, neutral field game is. Also, LJ, I just remembered one. They did a game at Fort Bragg uh, a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, we have the Home Run Derby X games. No, no. Like, I'm talking real. Like, things that are actual, un- actually things understandable. Things that are actually good. Things that are understandable. I don't know why that just popped into my head. It's probably not going to leave my de- head all day. But we're going to move on here as we've got our little injury segment of – well, actually, no, today's not usually the day we do injuries. But it's a big injury here as Jacob deGrom heads to the IL with – was it shoulder or elbow inflammation, Brandon? It was forearm. Forearm inflammation. Not good. Headed to the 15-day. Brandon, is Jacob deGrom injury prone? Uh, is the Pope Catholic? Um, <laughs> yes, LJ. <laughs> that, could be, um, that could be a put in question, but <laughs> I, I would, I would, I'd be. It'd be hard to say that the Pope is not Catholic. Um, LJ, uh, Jacob Degrom, what are we doing here? What are we doing? What are we doing, LJ? Because you got the forearm strain. I watched a TikTok, so of course it must be true, right? right. What I saw. Um, some doctor, I'm sure he's a doctor also, um, said that the injury looked like uh, Tommy John and the way that DeGrom was talking to uh, Bruce Bochy and the training staff on the mound, that it looked like he was done for. Whatever it is, it's not the point. LJ, he has not thrown more than 92 innings. And I'm going to count the 2020 season, but he was. That's healthy. not fair. He has not thrown Bro. more than 92 innings since 2021. And will he get to 92 he innings this year? Game. Will he get 62 more innings to get that? I don't know. But if you're looking at, let's say that his 2023 is over, which knowing Jacob DeGrom, it's always an extended injury. It seems like it's never something where it's like, okay, a start here, a start there. It seems like it's a couple of starts at least. If this is it for Jacob DeGrom in 2023, then over the last three years, 2021 through 2023, he's essentially completed a full season of games. Would you like to hear what that stat line is, LJ? Yes, please. Actually, 32 not. games started, 186 innings. For a 2.03 ERA and a 1.62 whip with 14.1 Ks per nine. That's disgusting. That's just like reliever stats at that point. 1.1 walks per nine. He leads the MLB in FIP right now and the AL in strikeouts per nine. He's been fantastic so far this season. But... Where, when, when, and where, I guess... Do we start talking about where does Jacob DeGrom rank on the all-time, like, 
what could have been or you know it's people always say you know if if uh ken ken griffey jr could have avoided some of those injuries with the reds he could have had the all-time home run title uh if a rod didn't get suspended and stayed healthy could he have gotten 700 home runs uh when do we start putting it on there with lj is andrew luck in okay um comparison for jacob de grom or no no okay i disagree because i think well j andrew luck had potential to be on the rogers manning brady level you still had to go out and execute those all-time performances i think when we're talking about talent alone we're talking about a guy who is on the you know roger clemens whoever you want to name on here pedro pedro honestly randy I, johnson i wouldn't i wouldn't randy johnson feels like a better situation than pedro just cuz his run was so so long <laughs> yeah but um i think when we're talking about all-time talent that's where he could have reached he could have been a mount rushmore pitcher in the history of baseball do we think that's necessarily over because I'm going to go ahead and say, and to answer the question, I'm finally bought in. This is injury prone. This is his third injury in the last month. Um, Yeah, it's just been this year he's had three, not even yes. like going back to last year. And I'm going to I'm going to still defend my claims here over the last two years because, you know, 2021, we're talking about the best pitcher. We've this that was the best 92 innings we've ever seen in baseball. Yeah. Easily. They screwed around with that injury so much trying to get him, forcing him, trying to force him back in this year, that year. Because that they really thought that they were going to make the playoffs if he got back and then they finished third and were not good. And so they, you know, dicked around with his injury that delayed him coming back later on and probably caused some of his injury issues last year too. You don't know. Either way, that was the, really the only time in his entire career before that that he'd had an issue, 204, 217, 201, 148, but I don't remember. I don't think it was that big a deal. Like, it wasn't like a major, major injury. It was a couple nick-ups that screwed him up in 2016. So, you know, this is a guy who had been durable in the past and then just kind of fell apart. At this point, I'm ready to say he probably is injury-prone, but if he can get another good run on, he's a clear Hall of Famer, lock-up Hall of Famer, Frankly, I'm still willing to give it to him right now. Hall of Fame. It's just a matter of how long. He would be eligible for the Hall of Fame after this year because this is his 10th year in the league. However, I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah Brandon, here's the thing. Yeah. Project out. Keep in mind, this these injuries in the that he's had have clearly not affected his performance. This is a guy who is leave, leaving for the 15-day IL with – 30 innings at 2.67 ERA and third a major major league no American League leading 13.4 strikeouts per nine and the best FIP in best the FIP in the league. So he is playing some of his best or some of the best baseball in the entire league right now after all of these injury years. So the stats through the injuries are still good. When he's here, he's still contributing. 
if I'm correct, this is another consecutive year with a positive war. Even if he ends, even if he ends, he's got a positive war for the year. And so you have a couple of years where he's averaging a two war over a full season. And the seasons before, two amazing seasons, a 1-7-0 over 200 innings, a 2-4-3 over 200 innings. Insane stuff. So, like, this is a guy who probably should have won three straight Cy Youngs and, well, really, had it not been for injury, four straight Cy Youngs. Even before that, he was a sub-three pitcher on his rise. I would say, even with the injuries, this is still a 10-year period of dominance for him when he's been out on the field. And assuming, again, assuming that he plays another, say, five more years with, especially if he's sub-three that whole time or sub-three-five, I would say that's enough to get him in. This is a generational performance run. But to answer back on the question, yeah, it, it, it's it's time to call him injury prone. This isn't just one thing that's hampered him for a long time. This is a lot now. And it's going to be something that you're going to have to deal with for a while. Brandon, are we ready to wrap up with our final segment? Yes, sir. Top prospect Jordan Walker for the St. Louis Cardinals has been sent down to the minors. That's going to end his time here with the Cardinals briefly. He comes out of this, though, with a solid solid performance enough. 99 OPS plus, a 274 batting average, 321 on base, 397 slugging. That's really where the struggle has been. Two homers, 11 RBIs in 20 games. What's next for Jordan Walker? Uh, it's time for him to learn how to play the outfield because it, to be at a negative 0.4 war after being pretty much a league average hitter in your 20, like remember, he's literally 20 years old right now. LJ and I are both older than this kid, which is really scary, but 6'6", 245 pounds, just casual. Um, Anyways. It's time for him to learn how to play the outfield, LJ, because this is the main reason why he's getting sent down. We know he can hit. We know how good of a hitter he is. Uh, but the some of these stat cast stats are really not good. I mean, some of the bad hitting ones. Um, I mean, look, expected batting average, he's up there. But a- after that, there's really no hitting stat that he's in the top 50th percentile of. Um He's in the 8th percentile of walk rate, 25th percentile of whiff rate, 16th percentile of chase rate. That's not good. That shows me not a lot of discipline, but he is young. In terms of the defense, um, you would think for someone who's in the 87th percentile of sprint speed, you know, you would be a pretty good outfielder. If you're 6'6 and you're in the 87th percentile for how fast you are, you think you got a little bit of range, but then you look, he's in the eighth percentile of outs above average. One of the worst players in the league in the field so far this year, the outfielder jump. So basically his reaction time uh, in the bottom 20% for that as well. So that that's really where you're seeing the outs above average, by the way, is the fact that there's no, he just doesn't know how to read a ball. It's not necessarily that he can't. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, I saw a lot of people on social media upset about the move to, for the Cardinals to send him down. 
just because the Cardinals have been playing so bad and the fans were basically saying, you know, what if he, all right, yeah, he's so bad in the field, but also look at our record. Like, why not have him here when he's actually hitting? Uh, LJ, how would you respond to, to that argument uh, for the fans that are mad that he got sent down, basically saying just, well, it's so bad already. Like, why should we just, like, like what's the difference? I would say they're right. Okay. The panic move is all this is. And realistically, you know, you're hoping that he's going to be able to, you know, learn. First off, some guys just aren't meant to play certain positions. Maybe he's just never going to be an outfielder, and that has to be something that they eventually are going to need to get realistic with and get a little creative with the way this team is shaped up. Like, reasonably, I'm not sure who necessarily you're wanting to put out there, but you've got, you know, a solid batch of middle infielders that, could move out there as well. well. This is a really crowded outfield right now, LJ, even without Jordan Walker, because you have Lars Newtbar, of course. You mm-hmm. have Alec Burleson, who is their second-round pick in 2020, and he started to get some reps lately. He's a top-10 prospect in the Cardinals organization. Uh, you have uh, Dylan Carlson out there, who is a regular player for the Cardinals now. You also have Tyler O'Neill, who's not been good, but that's still a guy that is not even 28 years old. And now you also want to implement Jordan Walker in there. Uh, it's it's just really crowded. You see, you know, eventually, it, assuming he's not able to play the outfield, the answer is move Brennan Donovan out to the outfield full time mm. and let um, Walker DH. But either way, he's either going to learn it or he's not. I don't think there's that much of a difference on the AAA level of learning to play defense. It's not like pitching where the pitching will be a little uh, lower level. And so you can be a little bit more comfortable to get that confidence and kind of develop against lesser pitching than major league guys. He doesn't need that right now. What he needs is to learn off of the major league players. And so if you're getting the same caliber of learning on the major league level on a bad team versus the triple league, a level it seems to make more sense that if you've got a guy who is a great pitching hitting prospect like even though the power hasn't necessarily come which is what you're kind of expecting out of jordan walker the professional at bats which is what we've been talking about with this guy all year these are professional at bats he comes up and gives every single time i was honestly kind of blown away at you know for a guy with a 45 potential hit tool the way he hits hits to all fields and is just smart at the plate. He's an intelligent hitter. And so if I'm the Cardinals, I want him seeing the best pitching talent possible so he can be ready to make that jump sooner. So you're kind of wasting the best of Jordan Walker trying to fix the worst. And ultimately it's just going to screw everybody because you're, you're not, I'm not sure this team is capable Yes, there is a massive void because if the Pirates come down to earth, things are kind of for the taking. But do we really think that this team is, you know, eight able to make up an eight-game gap on Milwaukee, assuming that's just assuming Pittsburgh completely collapses? An eight-game lead on Milwaukee is what they'd have to make up to get back into the division's top spot. And so if they were to have to do that, well, what they would have to do is that they would probably have to ship a guy like Jordan Walker out 
to bring in somebody good enough to change things here. Like that's the kind of situation we're talking about. So it all just kind of amounts to nothing for him and for the team. Nothing. The good starting enough. rotation is terrible. I mean, uh, this is. Like that's the only thing I can think of is if you were to go out and bring in like a blue chip pitcher and that's always going to cost you a top prospect. You've got, yeah, you got a couple top 100 guys, but nobody out inside the top 50 except Walker. And so there, there's definitely a scenario here where he could have gotten gotten traded. Obviously you don't want to see that happen, but it's all just, this all will eventually add up to nothing. You're either going to win the division without him being in your organization is what the feeling feels like to me, or you're going to not win this year, but you're going to have an amazing player getting major league experience. And it's not the latter. Yeah. And it's not just Jordan Walker who they're really hoping pans out. I mean, like I said, Dylan Carlson's young, Alec Burleson's young, Nolan Gorman, who's only 23. He's been good this year. So another young guy, but in terms of pitching LJ, there is not a lot of youth on this team. Uh, And, you know, looking at the minor leagues, uh, there's nothing, you know, they have Gordon Graceffo, who is 23, and he's a top 100 prospect as a pitcher. But, yeah, uh, how did this – like, I just don't know how this happened. Is Adam Wainwright being out, like, that big of a deal? And, like, also, why are you still relying so much on Adam Wainwright in the first place when he's 41? Um you caught, like a hot, you caught a hot stretch is all, all that happened here. It's just poor roster construction to have this good of a bullpen with with just uh, uh, this this rotate. You got Jake Woodford out here and Steven Matz. And I remember LJ trying to convince me how Steven Matz to the Cardinals. It was like, oh, we're really going to see now. This was like two years ago. You're, like, you're really going to see how good Steven Matz is now. And I was like, oh, yeah. We are seeing how good it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Very, very. <laughs> oh, that's all I have on the Cardinals, though. Yeah, it just feels like a wasted opportunity, but it will wrap things up for us today. Our next show, of course, will be Wednesday, May 3rd, probably recording sometime in the morning, so it'll be out um, relatively early for you. In the meantime, Brandon, unless you have anything else, we'll see you. See you. Have a good one.